Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Amanda. Yes. Please say the first word that pops into your mind when I say a type of buttercream. Are you okay. ready? Are we playing a game? Yes. <laughs> Do I get a prize? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, let's go. American buttercream. Sweet. Swiss meringue buttercream. Smooth. Italian meringue buttercream. Sexy. German buttercream. Oh, okay. Let me think of a word because I've never made German buttercream. So I have to ponder, not as a maker, but as an eater. Custard. French buttercream. Opera cake. Ermine buttercream. I don't know why I think Southern, but is it even Southern? But that's what pops to my mind. (laughs) I think you win the game. I may have like a weird association. Okay, so what do I win? Some cake? (laughs) (laughs) You win all the buttercream knowledge that ever was coming to you in this next hour. That's a pretty great prize. And everyone listening wins too. (laughs) That's not cheesy at all, right? (laughs) So last week was all about stories and just amazing exploration with David Late. And this week is like, get out your notebooks, people. This is everything you ever wanted to know about buttercream. You're going to buttercream school today. Yeah. I I mean, I'm giddy if you can't tell, because this is a topic that I just can't get enough of. Let's, we're going to do two parts because we love it so much, but seriously, I could just do like 20 parts. Flower hour becomes buttercream. So it it truly is the the paint for a cake. And just as painters have so many different types of paints and tools they can work with, so do bakers and buttercream. It's a fun one for sure. Definitely my favorite. Like I hate to have favorites because I love all the baking. I feel like when I say buttercream's my favorite, that maybe I'm being mean to brownies or something. But <laughs> it is. I mean, I think if I didn't say it's my favorite, I'd be lying. So this is uh oh my goodness, just so much love for this episode. Well, before we get into it, what have you been up to? What are you doing? What are you baking? What's going on in Jeremiah Land? In my land, it's been lots of baking, lots of testing for my book, and which is a lot of fun, always good. But I'm really thrilled that I've been able to share my princess cake recipe on my website. So you'll remember this summer I was teaching the Swedish this summer I was teaching how to make the Swedish princess cake. And I finally got that recipe all dialed down as something I can share with anyone who would like to make it as well. It's a stunner. I saw it pop up on my Instagram feed the other day. And, you know, certain things really stand out as I was scrolling through. It was just like this striking pop of color, that beautiful rose on top. It just brings a smile to my face every time I see it. And I'm so excited that we can all make your recipe now. Yeah, thank you. I hope people do. It's one of my very favorite cakes. And I know we're in the middle of fall or the beginning of fall, and it's not the most fall worthy cake, but it's a cake you definitely want to have in your repertoire. So many great flavors. 
I'm going to blaspheme the seasonal uh, police right now. As <laughs> Jesse Sheehan calls them the seasonal police. Uh, don't you think, though, like in the middle of fall when everything's spice and everything's warm and everything's, you know, pumpkin and sweet potato and maple, which I love these flakes. Yes. Isn't it nice to have like a palate refresher every once in a while, like pop in the Swedish princess cake and shake it up? Absolutely. And you know, Swedish princess cake is made with jam. And so we're out of the season for fresh berries. So use your favorite jam that you maybe bought during the summer or you have in your pantry or go buy from some frozen fruit and make your own. But it is a great way to have a, a palate light cleansing experience in the middle of all this decadent pumpkin. I love it. I love it. You know, I just had this thought too. It'd be kind of fun if you shook up the colors of it. And instead of doing the rose, like if you did little leaves or, yeah. I mean, you can change the appearance. It's a pretty flexible design, don't you think? Oh yeah. And I would have been thinking what would be a, a kind of more fall flavored jam, but it would need to be something acidic because you already have some sweet, um, flavors going on in the cake. So it would have to be a fall jam that was acidic. So I'm, I'm thinking about that. Like a fall princess could be really fun to do. With pomegranate or hey, something with punch. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think fig is too much. It's too sweet. It's hard to make fig more acidic unless you do a lot yeah. of citrus, but okay. Well, you've got our wheels turning. Now I'm thinking like maple pastry cream, <gasps> pomegranate. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah, there's some good. Yeah. Okay. Or even marmalade. You could do a, like an orange marmalade filling. That would be good. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. Orange and then, anything. And then, you know, of course, it's covered with marzipan. But marzipan doesn't have to be almonds. We could do a pistachio marzipan or a hazelnut marzipan. Pecan. I've made a pecan Ooh. marzipan before. The southern in me always grabs the pecan. So All right. I think there's a fall princess that's it's coming. She's coming. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Well, what about you? You're in your new house and I think you've been baking. We finally made it. So we're in our house. We're not nomads anymore. The favors have officially landed and it feels amazing. It's like, you know, at first having the break from baking, I, you know, again, wow, I'm just saying all kinds of terrible things today, but it was kind of nice. Like it was nice to shake things up and get out of my manic baking mode for a little bit. But after maybe a week, I was dying to bake. And then we got into the house. It was six weeks without baking. And we got into the house and I started baking and I was a little nervous. I thought, what if I don't know what to do? Or what if I don't enjoy myself? Like, what, like, I don't know, you know, you take a break from something and you just wonder how is it going to play out when you go back to it? And you guys, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I was like shouting and jumping and dancing and smiling. And I am more thankful than ever before for this wonderful hobby that gives me an opportunity to express myself, to give to others just to be with my family while I'm doing something that I love. Cause now we have in this house, we actually have a open, what do they call it? open floor plan. So the kitchen goes into the living room. And before I was kind of like quartered off from the rest of the family, the way our kitchen was. And I just look at my kids and they're happy doing their thing. And I'm over there baking and it's as amazing as ever times 10. So, so much love for baking. 
So much wow. left for buttercream, so much buttercream. left for cake, so much left for it all. So yeah, I'm happy to happy to be doing it. And yeah, I almost feel like today cake and party and buttercream, like it's like a celebration for how happy I am about baking. <laughs> Absolutely. Can I take yes. that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, who do we have today for our buttercream extravaganza? One of the best cakers out there, Tessa Huff. She has inspired me more times than I can count. Her recipes, her designs. I mean, she's a, a buttercream queen. I can't say the buttercream queen because there are so many buttercream queens that are amazing out there. But she's definitely way up there on the throne of buttercream queens. She's got this most beautiful blog called Style Sweet CA. She's the author of Layered, and she has another book coming out soon. Layered is all about cakes, and then her new book's coming out soon. It's all about finishing desserts and the full recipes, but then the special touches that take them to the next level. She lives in Vancouver with her husband and two kids. Just a multi-talented person, and like I said, so inspiring. There's a lot of times her posts pop up, and my wheels just start turning. I don't know. Jeremiah, aren't her designs just so beautiful? Super inspiring, approachable as well. You look at them, you're like, wow, that's really gorgeous. And you're like, wait, I think I could do something like that. So it definitely gets me inspired. And I love watching what she creates. I love that word, approachable. And when we talked to her to record this episode, I felt like she was so careful with her answers. And you guys will hear as you listen, but made her answers very practical and very usable. She's not the kind of person who uses a bunch of terms to make it a cake off pudding from anyone. She makes it so that you feel like you really can do this. And it's true. You really can. And you can tell she's a great teacher. You're going to learn a lot and she breaks things down for, for you. Hi, Tessa. Welcome to Flower Hour. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me here. We are so excited to talk to you. Hi, Tessa. So excited. Hi. All right. So as you guys know, this is our buttercream episode. But first, I want to know a little bit more about you, Tessa, and how you got started baking. Can you share a little bit with us about that? Yes, of course. Um, I did not grow up baking like a lot of bakers do. I did not have any interest of, of getting into the kitchen or anything like that um, until I went away for school and um, started cooking for myself because I had to. And um, I picked up baking along the way, probably in my early 20s, and um, had my first kitchen job at school. And I decided that it was way more fun to scoop cookie dough and frost cake than go to class. So it kind of <laughs> went from there. But by the time I graduated, um, I went to UC Davis and I graduated in 2006. And I was a little lost of what to do because I just had this, I had a brand new degree, but all I wanted to do was bake. So um, I tried working for about a year, typical desk jobs, hated it. It was awful. I was baking um, every night and then decided, because I was young and didn't have too many responsibilities at the time, um, to pick up a job at a local bakery. So I did that. And Jeremiah will know it was in 
Sacramento called Freeport Bakery, and I worked there for yeah, I worked there for a year. That's crazy. That's like the (laughs) oldest, most famous bakery in Sacramento. Yeah, that's where I got my start. I actually just walked in. They were hiring, um, I think, front of house positions, and I walked in and just said, "I was, I want to try." to work in a bakery. I didn't, they didn't have anything open. And the manager kind of looked at me and I was um, a little bit older than the other applicants that were applying for, you know, just selling um, the baked goods in the front. And it was just like, let's talk. Let's, why are you here? (laughs) Why are you really here right now? And it's like, I just want to get in the kitchen. So they actually found a spot for me in the kitchen for a little while. And then I joined on as one of the lowest tiered cake decorators. Um, once the position had opened up. So I decorated, or um, I didn't quite decorate cakes then. I frosted and filled and prepped everything for their other cake decorators. Um, and I did that for about a year. From there, um, like I said, they, they have an extraordinary staff of um, cake decorators, probably, I think they've even expanded since then, but um, they had a really deep staff of probably like 15 cake decorators and that's the very, very bottom. And so I knew it would take a really long time for me to climb that ladder to be able to do some of the stuff that I really wanted to do with custom cake design and wedding cakes and things like that. So from there, um, that's when I branched off and I started my own small custom cake boutique where I did only made to order um, celebration cakes for birthdays and weddings and things like that. And that was called the Frosted Cake Shop. And I ran that for four years. And then my husband and I decided to move to Canada. So we, we left the bakery and left Sacramento and packed our bags and moved to Vancouver. And that's where we've been for the last five and a half years. And when I got here, I knew I didn't want to open a bakery again right away. Um, but I got into blogging and that whole world, which has turned out to be really amazing. Um, we also knew that we would want to start a family very soon. So I wanted a job that would be more flexible, something that I could do from home. And so that's where the idea of writing cookbooks and doing blogging, um, had kind of started. So that led to my first cookbook and a couple babies later, and I'm another book book on the way. And that's where we are now. So wild. It's so I'm just like imagining you doing the filling and crumb coating of these cakes and then also <laughs> knowing the amazing designs that come out of your brain. Just imagining this person like going, if you only knew what I could do, like yeah. what a wild moment in your life. And then yeah, I mean it, your creativity now. It was so such great practice to have to fill and um, prep cakes and crumb coat. And they actually had the beginner cake decorators starting with frosting cakes with whipped cream, which Mm. I didn't realize was their way of training you to be able to frost anything because whipped cream was so temperamental and it's much um, more difficult to work with than, you know, buttercream that we can scrape off if it doesn't work out or, you know, and so that's kind of was part of our training which ended up working out um, really well, I think. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was a whole year of you know regular eight-hour shifts, and I think most people would find that really boring or repetitive. But I really enjoyed it. I, um, 
It was actually really fun. I'm still reeling because I read that you were you had connections in Northern California, and I was you know dying to know like where in Northern California. And now the oh. fact that like <laughs> seriously down the road from me and a place I grew up going that's just too cool. Well, what are you up to now? You kind of touched on it, but can you tell us more? Yeah, I am putting the very uh, finishing touches on my latest cookbook. It's called Icing on the Cake. Um, my editor just sent me over the final photo proofs. Um, I received those just this week. So that's probably one of the very last steps before it goes to print. And um, it's the cake or the book is all about um, decorative desserts. There's still lots and lots and lots of cake because that's what I've always loved the most. But um, unlike my first book, Layered, that was all about layered cakes, this one um, branches out a little bit more to include things like pies and macarons and tarts, anything that's like pretty. And <laughs> to say, and the title Icing on the Cake obviously, you know, encompasses like literally icing on cake. But it's also like that little something extra that makes things like even better and even sweeter. So that's what it kind of refers to like all the extra details that um, we're putting into the design and all the edible decorations and things like that. And this book has a lot more step-by-step photos and really um, great tutorials on how to achieve those at home. Can so, you give us a teaser, anyway. like one of the recipes you're really excited for people to see? Just Oh, wow. Um, I do dive much, well, this is the buttercream episode, so I'm going to talk about that. We do, I dive much deeper into buttercream design in this book and, you know, piping buttercream flowers and having all the step-by-step photos on how to do that at home. So um, unlike my first book, Layered, we didn't quite go that far into decorating. Um, this one is, has a lot more flair, so I'm really excited about that. We're Sounds excited exciting. about it, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, since we have so many questions about buttercream, more questions, I'll say, on any topic than we've ever had on Flower Hour. And this I- is from all of you, from all the listeners. Yeah. We didn't even format any questions, Jeremiah and I. Typically, we kind of do some of our questions, some of your questions. These are going to be 100% from Instagram because you guys love some buttercream. Uh, we need it's to a big topic. It. Um, and just so everyone can kind of know what to expect, we kind of divided the questions up the best we could. So of different categories, we're going to cover types first and then techniques and then some troubleshooting and under troubleshooting, we have the subtopics of texture, hot weather and taste. So, I mean, it's a topic that I love and I feel like there's no better expert than Tessa. So are we ready to oh, dive thank in? thank you. I'm really yeah. excited. I'm happy that everyone else is so excited about buttercream too because, you know, I love it so much. So It's classic, right? You could, Fondant comes in and out of like the trends, I feel like, every once in a while, but buttercream is always good, always beautiful. Oh, that's the perfect way to say it, yes. <laughs> Very uh, right. diplomatic way to say it, <laughs> that. Yeah, okay. All right, uh, first question. Do you want to go, Jeremiah? You go right. first. I'm ready. Okay. We love, we love the baking sensei. We've had questions from them before. Okay, what's the difference between American, Swiss, French, and Italian buttercream? This is a great place to start. Well, I would say you can tell the French, Italian, and Swiss are all meringue-based buttercreams, whereas American buttercream is made with 
butter and powdered sugar much much sweeter it has its place it's not as versatile but um i still love it um like i said the other ones are more meringue based meaning you are using a parts of eggs swiss and italian will use the egg whites french will use the egg yolks and those are whipped up with sugar um, and heated in one way or another and then added with your butter to make it like really silky smooth buttercream well said <laughs> you pass. <laughs> I mean, what do I know? <laughs> so funny. Um, okay, so our next question is along the very similar lines. It's Amy Braddock, and she wanted to know about the different types, which we just kind of touched on, but wanted to know the best temperature to make and serve. And we did get a lot of questions about this. Like, do you have a go to, Tessa? Like, if it's really hot, are you like, I better do Italian? Or do you have something that you go to if it's hot or cold? or if a cake's going to be out for a while? Um, Well, when I had my bakery out in Sacramento, it was very, very hot during summer wedding season. So I always did Italian meringue buttercream because that was was much more stable than Swiss. Um, So with Italian meringue, you're going to be heating the sugar and water to make a sugar syrup before you're adding it to the egg whites, and that's going to stabilize them a little bit more. And um, with, you know days in the summer with over a hundred degree weather in Sacramento and doing wedding cakes. That was my best bet. Um, as far as temperature and other aspects, always eat your Swiss and Italian meringue buttercream at room temperature because they will harden. And there's nothing more that breaks my heart more than someone trying to eat a cake with like solid Swiss meringue. It just ruins everything. So make sure it's, it's room temperature Um, and then when making the buttercream itself, you're going to make sure your butter is nice and soft before you get started or else you're going to have some trouble, but we can always get into troubleshooting a little bit later on if for some reason it was too soft or too cold, but cold buttercream makes me so sad because you miss out on all that butter flavor, but you're still eating all the calories too. It's like, if I'm going to eat buttercream. I want the full experience, man. I don't want it crackling in my mouth and missing out on the butter taste. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Please don't eat cold Swiss meringue buttercream. I agree. All right. At Trish, Trish. Oh gosh. I don't know how I'm going to do this one. Trish or a tops. I, oh, that makes sense. Like triceratops. Yeah. I think, but, okay. yeah. Cute. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> how to choose a style of buttercream for your dessert. Which textures, flavors, um, and available ingredients would you choose for your dessert? It depends on your taste first. Like I touched on a little bit earlier, the American buttercream is going to be much, much sweeter than the other styles. Um, it's much easier to whip up. Um, it doesn't require as much skill level as just, you just need to whip up that butter and um, powdered sugar and a little bit of cream or milk and vanilla and you're set. And so that's perfect for um, a cupcake or something like that. It depends on what you're pairing it with. If your other flavors are really, really sweet, then maybe choose something else. But it's very popular just because it's so easy and so quick. Um, as far as the other types of buttercream, if you're choosing between, you know, Swiss or Italian or French buttercream even, um, just kind of think about the other flavors that are going on in your dessert. Um, they're very similar. 
The French buttercream is going to use egg yolks, so you know, keep that in mind. It's much, much richer than the other ones that only use egg whites. And um, I find that the meringue-based buttercreams, they are, I don't know if I'd say easier to flavor, but if you are going to be adding flavor elements to it, if that flavor is something sweet, like strawberry jam or something, you don't want to be adding more sweetness to an American buttercream, but you can do that by adding it to your other, the other meringue-based ones. Although you can't add too much or else you might break your buttercream, but that's a whole other story. So it kind of depends on how much time you have, what you're pairing the flavors with, and um, your skill level, or at least you know how much work you want to put into it. I mean, I say that American buttercream is much easier. I'm not saying that the other ones are more difficult, but um, they do take a little bit more time and precision. I let let's talk about French buttercream for a second because it's definitely not something you see often. But I find it really it melts very easily. It's very soft. It's really delicious, and I find it maybe is best for fillings. Um, I don't know what you guys think versus the outside of a cake, which you know, if you know your 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 temperature going to be serving, then you you know if it's going to be a cooler temperature, maybe the French will be okay. But you often see it like in an opera cake or in these cakes where it's a it can be a nice um, filling. But yeah, I wouldn't go to French very often. What do you guys think? Well, the first time you mentioned opera cake, the first time I ever made a French buttercream was in an opera cake, and I feel like that really rich frosting because it does have the egg yolks and the butter. I mean, it's very, very fatty. goes really nicely, in my opinion, with a drier cake, kind of like the jacond that's in uh, opera cake. So something like a nut-based cake or also some of my gluten-free experiments. I know some people have great success with really beautiful gluten-free cakes, but a lot of times my experiments have come out on the drier side. And then I'm really happy to make a layer cake with the French buttercream. Or if I'm like aiming towards a certain kind of dessert, like I feel like um, one that's maybe traditionally a custard, really rich dessert, if you're trying to turn that into a layer cake, maybe then it would still make sense to do a French buttercream as like the traditional use use of frosting on a layer cake. Um, But yeah, I mean, it wouldn't probably be my first go-to. It's just so decadent though. I mean, if you want a really luxurious experience... (laughs) I would just yeah. pile it on and be super naughty. It's it's so good. It's amazing. Yeah, it's never my first choice, but or my go-to. It's definitely not my go-to, but every time I make it, I always ask myself, why don't I do this more often? Because it's so good. But it definitely is much softer. It's a little bit more temperamental, but there definitely is still a place for it if if you do want to have that really decadent bite. I've noticed, I don't know if in the other questions, German buttercream comes up but if it doesn't we should talk about that at some point too because that's another underutilized don't think that it did so well we can bring that up at some point why did you how about now let's now let's let's riff on (laughs) german buttercream (laughs) so my understanding german buttercream is you start with a pastry cream base and then that becomes the base that you put all the butter in um, like, like for instance, the meringue is the base for the, the Swiss and Italian and the, uh, the egg yolk sugar syrup situation is the French base. So is that your guys' understanding too for German pastry cream? Yeah, I think so. It starts more with a custard base. It's not oh, something I make very often either, but yeah. 
And Cloudy Kitchen on Instagram, um, it's not a question on here, but I know she makes a lot of things using German buttercream. I think, if I remember right, she said it's her favorite. So if you want to experiment, I know she has quite a few recipes playing around with it, but I've never made it. I'll just say that I've never made it. Um, I've heard it tastes similar to ermine frosting, which we've talked about on here before. I love it. It's a little bit like a gravy, as sick as that sounds, but we'll say flour <laughs> and milk-based buttercream. Uh, I've heard it tastes similar to that, but I've never made a German buttercream. Maybe that's some homework for us. I have, and I highly recommend it. But again, it, it takes a lot it's just more lengthier than the other ones because you have to make a custard or pastry cream and then let that, you know, cool. And it's a whole, but it's delicious, delicious. But there you go. All right, next. All right. So from Courtney P. Fligler, and I'm not sure if it's Fligler. I don't know. (laughs) We're going to go with it. Screen names are challenging, right? Um, She would like to know the best dairy-free buttercream and best vegan buttercream. Tessa, do you experiment with vegan very often? Not very often at all. Um, I I have a little tiny, tiny bit. Uh, we had a nanny that was vegan that we adored. And so I occasionally would make up um, some cupcakes for her. But other than that, I really don't have that much experience with vegan cooking. I The, the time that I did make um, frosting... It was similar to an American buttercream, but I just swapped out like the equivalent of vegan butter for regular butter and just kind of went from there and used, you know, plant-based milk as opposed to cow's milk. And it worked. So um, the only thing I don't know is if those types of butter, the, you know, the vegan version of butter, if it's salted or not. So I would just make sure if you are going to be swapping in a vegan butter that, um, if you can choose an unsalted version, definitely do that. And I'm right there with you. Like I've, I've made a couple doing, like you said, and it tastes pretty good. Um, and I've tried it with coconut oil using a solid one, not a refined coconut oil that I found to be tricky just because of the temperature, you know, coconut oil goes so solid. I feel like, um, at a, at a, more closer to room temperature than butter does. So it was a little finicky, but once I got it to smooth out, it was pretty good. I've heard of adding some cream of coconut in there to kind of help mitigate that, but then you're adding more coconut Mm -hmm. flavor. Uh, So this is, I mean, I feel like this area, I've tried a bunch of recipes and something I need to explore more. I have not done a vegan meringue though. I've never done that. I've never done the... um, what is that aquafaba or uh, I'm probably pronouncing that all wrong, but you know, (laughs) when you look up the chickpea water or whatever, I am kind of amazed by that. That actually works because it doesn't sound like it would work. So I'm surprised I actually haven't experimented with that. So maybe I needed to do my own homework and do that. Um, but I haven't tried to do that to make a meringue based buttercream yet. So if someone else has, then let us know because that would be really interesting. Do people do that? So I know you make the meringues and like can make a meringue cookie. Do people do meringue-based buttercreams with aquafaba? Jeremiah, have you seen that? You, you guys all read my mind. That was the next thing I was going to ask you guys. Like, have you guys seen it? I feel like I have. It's in my brain. Like someone's done it, but I haven't. I don't know for certain. Are you going to Google right now? I'm, 
I'm going to Google it. Why don't you go ahead and ask the next question? You guys chat and I will research and we'll circle back. Okay. I have made the meringues though. And yeah, it's crazy that it works. Okay. Pocahontas Polly, what type of buttercream will be best um, after 48 hours? And she's in regards to taste and looks. So 48 hours, which buttercream is your go-to? I'm um, not quite sure I understand the question. Is this 48 hours because it, you made it in advance and then you're, re, then you're going to be decorating your cake later or you've already made your cake and it's sitting out or <laughs> yeah, it's a good I would say, yeah, I mean, either most of the types of buttercreams you can make in advance um, and you know, like Swiss or Italian meringue buttercream can last a couple weeks in the fridge, just fine. Same with American buttercream. So if you need to make them in advance, in advance, that's totally fine. Store in your refrigerator, but you will definitely want to bring whatever you make back out to room temperature and then remix it. Because once you put it in the refrigerator to store, the butter is going to harden. So if you did a Swiss meringue buttercream, you can whip that up, put it in the fridge for a few days and bring that back out to room temperature and then throw it back in your mixer and then re-whip it till it's nice and smooth again. And the taste should be totally fine. I agree. Totally. You can even freeze it too and then thaw it out in your refrigerator. All right. Do we have some research? All right. Reporting back. So people definitely do make meringue-based buttercreams with aquafaba and they look silky and beautiful. Like they, you know, I'll have to taste it before I could fully vouch, but they look <laughs> legit. You guys piped beautifully mm. and, um, you know, looks very smooth on the side of a cake as well. So my mind is blown. Good. So we yeah, got to get that sounds pretty <laughs> magical that that can happen. I'm, that's really exciting. And it looks like most of the recipes sub in um, a combo of vegan butter and vegan shortening instead of all vegan butter. Just, I looked at three and all three had done that. So um, I don't know if that's key or not, but just a thought. So maybe it makes it a little bit more stable that because sounds... then, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that vegan butter can be quite soft, softer than dairy butter. Yes. Okay. So next question that one designer, Matt would like to know which buttercream holds best stays good the longest in warm weather, which I think we kind of hit on that. We couldn't resist earlier. Italian buttercream was your go-to right Tessa for that kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. If something's going to be sitting out for a long time um, and you have the tendency to um, be hot. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's better. Swiss will probably work depending on how hot of a situation you were in though. Moving on to techniques. The Jam Lab would like to know, which you just answered, can I freeze buttercream for later use? Yes, you can. And O Cecilia asked, is it possible to freeze buttercream? So yes, <laughs> yes you can. That. And the, yes, the, look in my freezer. <laughs> <laughs> my freezer is full of buttercream and cake and experiments. So yes, you can freeze buttercream, um, probably for a couple months. I tend to freeze it just in like a big pillow of plastic wrap. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And then like just as long as it's wrapped r- really well, you can wrap it in plastic wrap, put it in a freezer bag. It can store in your freezer for, I would say a couple months. I'm sure I have buttercream in my freezer that's sitting in there. It's been in there longer. Um, but then from there, thaw it out in your refrigerator. 
and then bring it to room temperature after that and just mix and mix until it comes back to normal and it should be totally fine. I love the idea of putting it in plastic wrap and then putting it in the freezer bag because it's such a nightmare to get out of just a freezer bag if you put it in there. I like I've never had a great way to remove it. So I think that's a really good little side technique. Absolutely. And you just answered, I believe, um, our next question, which is the underscore tans. How do you bring stored buttercream back to life? And I think the key is, is the temperature. Once you've gotten it back, it needs to get back to room temperature before you can start whipping it again. Um, one right. thing I do as well, if it's on the colder side, I get my blowtorch out and I just kind of warm the side of the bowl. If I'm try- I want to speed up like the last bit of thought, you know, the, what is it called? The, the thawing. <laughs> you just want to use your blowtorch. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a really good idea. And, and when you start whipping it up, you'll be able to tell if it was the correct temperature or not. Because if you start whipping it and it still looks kind of um, almost curdled or it's not coming together quite right, you probably can tell that it was still too cold and you could either just wait a little bit longer. Or if you want to really speed things up too, you can take a small portion of the buttercream out and microwave it and then add it back in and then keep mixing. And sometimes that helps bring it all together. Absolutely. And that's the most important thing I think to remember is that any buttercream issue usually can be solved. Like it's a temperature issue. If you're usually, if you're having that moment where it looks curdled or it's too runny with a meringue buttercream, it's just a temperature issue. You guys agree? Definitely. Don't give up. Yeah. I, before, a million years ago, like the first, uh, first few times I would make Swiss meringue, if it wasn't just perfect right from the start, I would toss it out. Cause I thought I screwed up and then I still feel sad about the wasted frosting. So I'm like, it could have been fixed, but <laughs> I, um, I didn't read your tutorials, Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they definitely, there's some scary moments for sure when things look like they've gone totally wrong and you, you definitely can mess them up, but if you, um, if you're not sure, just keep mixing and, um, some, most times it'll come back to life. It's kind of amazing that way. All right. So next question, Southern fatty, woo woo. Always a little special woo woo for Southern fatty. One of I our first you. guests, um, he asks how temperature crazy are you about making buttercream? I've noticed huge temperature differences with different temperatures with texture. So when I read this, I was trying to figure out, is he thinking about like the sugar syrup itself? Like what do you, are you cooking it to 155? What if you went wild up to 170 or something like, do you think he's asking about that part of making? Like if you were doing Italian or is he thinking about the temperature of the butter? I'm not, question. I'm not sure what he's, what he's asking exactly. But Maybe we'll answer both. Um, yeah. With sugar syrup, have you noticed a big difference? Like, cause there's always a range. I feel like most mm-hmm. recipes give a range. Have you guys noticed a big difference if you're doing a sugar syrup, either Swiss meringue or Italian, I guess you could say, like, how crucial is that starting sugar temperature? I'll say for Swiss, um, I've seen a temperature between, you know, like 145 to 170. And I think part of that is some recipes are written to make sure you're cooking those egg whites to make them completely safe to eat. And, you know, I think I'd say, I always say 160, um, cause then that's going to make sure that the, the egg whites are cooked high at a high enough temperature. Um, but 
I've definitely not used a thermometer and you can just, <laughs> this is not the best advice for someone just starting, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, it just has to be really, really hot. So I, if you don't have a thermometer on you, I've done it by touch. And when it's very hot, I don't, of course, don't burn yourself. Then that's usually around the right temperature. Um, but, um, I think that's where some of those ranges come from as if you are cooking it to make sure those egg whites are safe or not. And I, and I think some people are as concerned um, about egg white safety as others. So it kind of just depends on a personal preference there. But um, considering that I've made the same recipe and not used a thermometer and it turns out fine. So I don't think it's going to make a huge difference in the final product. So that temperature, not a huge difference. And then butter, because I, I, I now I'm going, I wonder if he's, I bet he's talking about butter because I have seen with, you know, certain bakers that are really, really precise where they're taking the temperature oh, of the I butter. Yeah. Are you like yeah. super aware of like, it is at 165. Now I'm ready to make the buttercream or not, not 165, obviously, like but like, five. <laughs> like, oh, like, you know, when people say room temperature and that's really yeah. hard to gauge because you know, yeah. everyone's house so I have seen that in written in recipes to have it be a certain temperature. I don't know exactly what that is, maybe like 72 degrees or something. That's not a practice that I normally do. I'm sure it makes things even more accurate and all the better. Um, I don't personally do that. I don't know if that's irresponsible or not, but um, you just want to make sure that it is, has softened a little bit, but it should never, the butter should never be greasy or melted so then yeah. that's definitely you've gone too far but um and then in that case you'll probably end up with something a buttercream that's on the soupier side as you know we've talked about a little bit already um but yeah, i'm gonna I say think- I'm, I'm gonna reveal myself here i would never write a recipe with what i'm about to say <laughs> i would always write it more precision but i when i'm making like a swiss marine buttercream i play fast and loose like i don't like high to even five. wait high five <laughs> right there. I don't even wait for the meringue to be totally cold. What I do is when it's like just slightly warm, I start dropping in warm, but like a uh, cold butter and let that kind of cool off the meringue. Cause I'm just so impatient. And then once I feel like I've gotten it to, um, that room temperature, then I switch to my room temperature butter, which often my kitchen is warmer because normally when I'm baking, like I'm baking multiple things, so it gets really hot. And so then the room temperature butter, if it starts to get too soupy from that, I switch back and put a couple of tablespoons of the cold butter in. Like I just, I'm constantly adjusting as I go, um, which is a little bit of a wild ride. But if you know what you're looking <laughs> for and trust yourself, like I say, why not? Because sometimes I just don't have the patience to get all the butter perfectly to room temperature first and, or for the meringue to completely cool. Yeah. I do I- like that tip though. Like if you're starting to add the butter and you find that it's too soft and soupy, maybe stop and add some cold butter and see if that kind of helps bring things back together. I've never tried that, but now I want to. Yeah. Yeah. Get crazy, Tessa. Yes. And I've learned from, I believe from Rose, Rose Levy Berenbaum, that emulsions happen best when both parties, both, you know, the butter and the meringue are the exact same temperature. That's when you have the strongest emulsion. But uh, so I've, I've done that. It's great. But then I also play like Amanda and it's the same result really. So once you learn what you want your buttercream to be like, you can, yeah, you can just go for it. <laughs> be, be wild, be wild. 
Sometimes. GM Webb, what's the best way to make chocolate buttercream? This is a good one. No one knows. Chocolate buttercream. <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying to <laughs> digest this question. Um, you can do a chocolate, like Swiss or Italian buttercream by adding in melted chocolate, cooled melted chocolate. Don't add it in hot or else you'll start to melt things. Um, you can do that. You can do a combination of melted chocolate and cocoa powder. Um, you're not going to get like a really rich fudgy frosting that way, but it'll be a nice fluffy milk chocolate buttercream, which is delicious. Or if you wanted to, um, do like a American buttercream. And then if you're adding cocoa powder, you're just going to be making like a fudge frosting, which is also good. So it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Yeah. I feel like chocolate buttercream is similar to chocolate chip cookies where you could have a room of people and serve 10 different chocolate buttercreams. And each time somebody's going to say, this is my favorite. And somebody else is going to say, this was my least favorite of the 10. It's like so personal preference. And if you want something super chocolatey, would you guys say you need to go straight on to ganache? Oh, that's a good point. What do you guys um, think? Yes. Sure. <laughs> Short <laughs> answer. Really go, yeah. you know. Yes, ganache is wonderful. Um, and you can even do like a whipped ganache too if mm. you wanted something a little bit in between. That's a good idea. And I think right. too, I definitely play around with the different cocoa powders, like a darker or black cocoa powder, something a little more intense. If ever I'm making a buttercream and say I've used melted chocolate, I say, don't be afraid to add in some cocoa powder if you need to bump it up at the last bit, because as long as you're not adding too much, it doesn't seem to screw up the texture too much. Um, I've done that before. Like if I taste it, I'm like, needs more chocolate. And then salt, like obviously, you know, we're salting all, all of everything, but I feel like salt makes a huge difference with chocolate buttercream. Like if I haven't added the salt yet, I can taste it. I'm like, geez, this, the chocolate's barely coming, coming through. And then I'll add a little salt and it's like, suddenly I have chocolate frosting. That's great. It is great. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, next question. So LA knees underscore Aziz says how to make a milk chocolate buttercream with a very dark color. I feel like we kind of just talked about that, right? Yeah. Um, you can do yeah. milk, yeah, milk chocolate. That's kind of what I would call like any sort of meringue-based buttercream where you're adding melted chocolate. I kind of just call it milk chocolate because you can't add to you you, you can't add so much chocolate or else it's gonna start to break the buttercream. And so if you want really, really chocolatey frosting, you're gonna have to go fudge, frosting, or ganache. But like you said, if you want to do um, like a milk chocolate and want to have it darker in color, you can start adding in different types of cocoa powder. And like, if you did have black cocoa powder, I bet that would really help. I mean, it's not going to be darker than the chocolate itself and milk chocolate is not super dark on its own. And you're adding it to that super white meringue if you're doing meringue. So, um, or possibly dye. This may be a time where, you know, you may have to tent it a little bit if you're really wanting it to be dark, dark, I think. All right. At KGP Mendez, how do you get vibrant colors with Swiss or Italian meringue buttercream? It is definitely trickier than um, American buttercream. Um, which, with American buttercream, and you can add a little bit of food coloring, and it's so dark and vibrant. And I even noticed that the colors even darken up over time. Um, but you'll need a lot more when you're working with a Swiss and an Italian buttercream. 
I always go with a gel-based food coloring because um, then you're not adding in more liquid. But you just have to go in with the mindset knowing that it's not going to be quite the same. And if you really, really want that those dark colors, then you're probably going to end up using a lot of the food coloring. And sometimes that might affect the taste if you are using like a red or something. Um, so just be careful with that too. I think that's great. I like to try to use natural as much as I can. One thing I do too is try to, if, if I can make the flavor, you know, if it makes sense. I mean, obviously if somebody's ordered vanilla, it's really hard to do much with the color. But like if, if you're wanting to make a cake and you could maybe do raspberry frosting and then color it the rest of the way to get it more bold that it's kind of nice to do a little bit in the natural vein. Maybe that's a thought yeah, too. Yeah, like a freeze-dried raspberry powder would actually add a ton of color, I think, and flavor. Yay, flavor. <laughs> when we can do flavor, why not do flavor is, is right. what I think. Um, the next question is kind of a color question as well. Um, it comes from Heather Horniak. What is the best recipe? She just put that out there. <laughs> All of Tessa's recipes are the best recipe. So oh, thank you. recipe, hit up her site. Her link is in the profile on her Instagram. I've made a ton of them and I promise you, you won't be disappointed. I've never had one failure with any of them. Oh, that's so great. Thank you. Um, and then the color part of her question is how can you get it to be pure white and not tinged yellow? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you got to keep in mind when you are making these ingredients, if you look at the or the buttercream, if you look at the ingredients themselves, you're going to notice that they're not pure white. Like butter is not pure white. Vanilla extract is not white. You're going to have to make a sacrifice. I think if you want pure, pure, pure white buttercream, um, you can use shortening, I suppose. I don't ever use shortening in my buttercream, but you could try that or maybe part of it. Um, and then a clear vanilla, which is a different flavor. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on what you're really looking for and what kind of sacrifice you're willing to make. So that's why it's not pure white in the first place. But if you want it to be a pure white, then you're going to have to change something else. Unless then, you guys have any other ideas on how to get it to be whiter, I'm not sure. Jeremiah, do you remember when we talked to Ed about this? Yes. So two things. One is he says to put a tiny bit of blue in. There's something about the blue that makes... Or violet. Yeah. Violet. Oh, that would offset maybe some of the yellow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the other one, which I've seen a lot of pastry chefs do in like white entremet glazes is, I think it's titanium, is it oxide? Titanium something. I can't remember. It's, it's, a, it's a powder that um, you can put into anything like that. And it just turns it bright, bright white. Oh, Which is the so same as the white gel food coloring, but that's not as um, potent as the powder. I've noticed. Right. right. Oh, that's really cool. I actually don't know that science behind that. So that would be really interesting to play around with. Yeah. Weird baking science. Oh, that'd be a fun episode. I'm going, we should do like a really spooky, like weird baking science. I don't Halloween, know. Halloween. <laughs> yeah. That could be really cool. I've noticed that what different types of butter, depending on what the cows have eaten have are different colored. Some organic grass fed butters are super dark. And then some of the more like commercial brands can be more on the white side. So get to know your grocery stores, butters and find the ones that are lighter and color can help too. That's a good point. I like that tip. I think one you're up. for life to bake wants to know how to eat, infuse buttercream with fennel or a spice that is so difficult to infuse or get flavor. 
in it. So with those, I'm guessing, so with difficult flavorings like fennel or spices, yeah. How do you get those infused? I've never worked with fennel infused butter, but if you are going to, or buttercream, if you are going to infuse flavor, I've done spices and teas and things like that. Your best bet is to infuse the butter. So you can melt, like I, my favorite buttercream ever is an Earl Grey buttercream. And so you get the tea and you steep it in the butter. And then, um, so the butter gets all melted. So then you will want to, you know, bring that back to like, well, you'll strain it. And then um, once it's infused, it'll be melted. So you'll have to bring, chill that bring it back to like room temperature butter and then you can start adding it back to your buttercream. But yeah, that's, that would be my suggestion is just experiment with infusing the different spices and flavors into the butter, which you'll be melting. Does that mean, sorry, I kind of went backwards on the instructions there. So you're gonna have to just melt it into the butter and then strain it out. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm all about the infusions. Um, I go to American buttercream is my go-to. It's, it's just my personal favorite and I'll infuse in the same way, the milk or the cream. I think that's a really easy way to get the flavor. And also, and then caramel, I love the taste of caramel. So since so much of like a caramel sauce comes from heavy cream, I'll infuse that cream and make like an Earl Grey caramel or a black tea caramel or a spice caramel. And then use that caramel in the buttercream. So all about the infusion, it sounds like whether it's the butter, the milk or the, you know, caramel, or you could maybe infuse the chocolate ganache. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah, and so for you know anyone that's not quite sure what we're talking about is that you're going to be um, infusing like the milk or the cream or the butter by heating it up um, and then adding you're steeping your ingredients like you would like a tea or something. And then the longer the infusion, the longer you keep like if you did lavender milk, um, the longer you keep the lavender in the milk, you know, letting that steep, the stronger the flavor is going to be. So, um, kind of depending on your taste. And so then you, but then you'll want to strain whatever that is. If you use lavender, if you use basil or cinnamon, strain that out of your cream. And then, um, we can add that back to your recipe. So it's just adding a step, um, in before you start everything else. Thank you for clarifying that. I I feel like (laughs) so annoyed when I listen to something or watch something and they're going infuse, infuse. I'm like, what the hell is infuse? So, and here I am, you know, you think (laughs) as if we're all on the same page and I think it's really good that you clarify that. So thank you. Yeah. And like I said, the longer you, the longer the time spent, the ingredients spent in the milk or the butter or whatever, the stronger the flavor will be. So you can even do like a cold infusion, which I've done before. You can steep like like crushed cocoa bean or coffee beans in cream, like in your refrigerator overnight in cream, and then strain that out. I've done that and that works really well for like making like a coffee ganache or something like that. that I've done that so with good. lemons just to make lemon whipped cream. I've um yeah, steeped the lemon peels in cream and then chilled it overnight. And it was a totally different take on the flavor of lemon it was very floral and not so strong but yeah it's a that's a great tip to have to do this infusing thing this is fun that makes me curious jeremiah because i always get so nervous with anything like milk based and acidic like that it will curdle does the oil of a lemon rind is that why you do the peels not curdle in the same way the acid of the fruit does yeah yeah and cream is the one dairy that can handle some 
acid a little bit. Um, the others obviously can't. And I think too much, you definitely will, you know, turn your cream into cheese. But um, yeah, the, <laughs> exactly. The lemon peels are going to be just, they're just oil, you know, the oil and all that flavor is in the, in the skin. Okay. I like this thought. That's just one of the, it's just like a side tangent. I just get a lot of anxiety about citrus. And a lot of times I'll have an idea. I'm like, Oh, I want to do this, but yeah. it requires being with the milk and I don't want to do anything weird. So, okay. Yeah. That's a good, a good thought. I just saw something on YouTube. I want to tell you guys about this pastry chef was making chocolate chip cookies and she melts her butter and then covers it with saran wrap or a cling film. And then she puts a smoker, smoker tube into that, into the butter container and she smokes the butter. I mean, you have to have a smoker, but I thought that was so cool. <laughs> Fancy pants. That's smoke, what I have to say about that. Butter. I don't know about for a cake though. That would be weird. You have your science episode with your spooky science episode. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.